It is March 26, 2009. Welcome to the 14th episode of Digital Photography Life. I'm Scott Sherman. And I'm Michael Stein. And on today's show, in honor of the season, we'll have tips and tricks for taking great spring photographs. And some of the tips have come from you, the listeners, through our Twitter feed. We'll also talk about the news of the day, uh, let you know what's been up with us and some exciting new books and software out there for you. But first, the theme music. Michael, it's been too long since we did this. It's been quite a while. So we'll get to a little bit of an explanation and a mea culpa in a couple of seconds. But first, thank you to everyone for listening. Thanks for coming back and joining us. Thanks to Smug Mug for their sponsorship of the show. Remember to go to Scott's photo blog to find out how you can get a free camera strap from Smug Mug for the low price of, what's that? It's free. And I actually, I just got mine. Oh, how do you like it? I love it. You'd have to I can't wait for it. I'll talk about it. I can't wait to uh, put on my D200 when I get it back from the shop, but we'll talk about that later. Yeah, this is an offer they usually only give to um, some people who actually are already Smug Mug members, but they are extending it to the listeners of the Digital Photography Show. You can also get 50% off your first year of service with them. Check out the code for that over on Scott's photo blog. And we also want to thank our sponsor, LensBaby. There will be a mid-show ad for them, right? Yep. If people want to find out more about the show or contact us, how can they do that? You can write us at digitalphotographylife at gmail.com. You can also find our show at photography.personallifemedia.com. You can uh, read the show notes and uh, comment on the show publicly at scottsphotoblog.com and you can also find us at digitalphotographylife.com and you can Twitter us at follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash dplife and you can, we also, there's, there's also a Facebook page and a Flickr group. Alright, and I'll link to all of those on Scott's photo blog. So, um, first we need to acknowledge uh, the last two shows have been two weeks or a little bit more than two weeks apart. We try to get a show out weekly, but unfortunately, um, that's been delayed. Uh, Michael, I think we could be honest with everybody. You were arrested recently on a public indecency charge. Do you want to give more details? <laughs> you always want to make it my fault, don't you? <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I'm not saying it's your fault that your pants were around your ankle in front of that public library. I mean, that happens to a lot of people no, 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 six no. or seven times in a row. <laughs> you know, they, they could have been, you could have lost too much weight. That's all. That was you. No, actually, a lot of it has been me. Um, over the past month, my parents have had uh, a series of health crises. I live in Washington, D.C., there in Florida. I've had to fly back and forth, stay there for longer than I thought. I have to go back again in early April. And when I'm home, there's countless hours on the phone trying to work out some custodial issues and medical care issues. Uh, it's not been an easy, fun time at all. For the first time in my life, I really have that sense of what it's like to be part of the sandwich generation. You know that expression? I didn't know it until you told me. Yeah. Sandwich between the kids. Strangely enough, my kids have not stopped having 
all the needs and demands that they used to have just because now all of a sudden my parents are becoming more needy and demanding. Well, I'm not quite there yet. Well, your, but, uh, your parents I, I are good. For you. Your parents hmm? are a good ten years younger than mine, right? Yes. Yeah. And they're very active, and they're very. They, they seem they, they they seem healthy and hearty. I've met your parents many times. Oh yeah, they're healthy and hearty. All right. Yeah, Michael's father is cool because when you look at Michael's father, you can pretty much see Michael. You know, in forty years. <laughs> My dad listens to the show. He does. So say nice things. I love your parents. They're great. But, you know, your dad, you can see that's – he looks like you. Well, good. Except, you know, he's got a couple of years on you and he still looks like you. <laughs> um, and your mom's a sweetheart. So, yeah, unfortunately, my parents are not doing as well. So it's very – you know, if this continues, I guess we'll have to uh, figure out a way for me to tape shows fl from Florida but I'm hoping that my next trip will be the last. But the trips are extending for more than a week and it's just, you know, I have I don't have the technical setup there or the time or focus to get out a quality show. So my, my parents are doing, you know, they're, they're struggling, which is, you know, sad and tragic. But so is your Nikon D200. Oh, my Nikon D200. As I mentioned in another show that uh, had problems with the back buttons not working, I um, I finally sent it to... Um, Mac camera because I had one of those extended warranties, a three-year extended warranty. So it takes it kicks in um, right after the Nikon warranty ends. Um, if you're buying an expensive camera, I think it's pretty well worth it. Um, it was probably like 160 bucks or something like that. And in this case, the buttons in the back of my camera stopped functioning, so I so I couldn't hit play or go into um, the, my menus. So I sent it into Mac, and very quickly I received an email response saying that. That they received it, which was great, and then it was uh, the status was that it was the in line to be repaired, and about a week later from that, um, I got a report saying um, that actually it was just I think yesterday that um, I received a message saying that they had to send it back to the manufacturer mm -hmm. to get repaired. So now it's being shipped off to another place, shipped being shipped directly to Nikon to get replaced, and. Uh, but now I'm just in the wait and see. So it then has to get shipped back to Mac camera and then back to me. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be nice if Nikon couldn't fix it and they didn't have any more D200s laying around? So they said, eh, we'll just give them a D300. Oh, I know they'll be able to fix it. It's just, uh, yeah, that's just wishful thinking. I'm not expecting that. When you <laughs> send the camera in to Mac, uh, and they're, they're a pretty common uh, third-party insurance, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you send it in, did they send you the packing materials or do you have no, to pack No, I actually, I actually saved my original D200 box okay. just for such a situation. And I actually still have my D70 box. And so it fits nicely in there. That way you take off. It should. Every, you have to strip <laughs> the camera from everything. You right. strap off, take out the batteries, the, everything. Right. And just put the body cap on. Right. And then make sure that's... Uh, I put it back in its box so it doesn't move around. And then I put that box in another in a bigger box with bubble wrap around it or that giant bubble wrap. Right. Yeah. I, um, you know, I, I like it when the companies do send you packing materials. Like my Xbox died recently and Microsoft sent me, you know, a prepaid shipping box with the right size foam inserts so that everything was, you know, perfect for travel. It made my life easier. No, it's nice because they, they they want to ensure quality of that that what they're what the way you're going to send it is going to be a good way. Right. So, well, good luck to you. With but that yeah, camera. right now I'm just using my wife's D40 when she's not using it, and my old five year old D70. 
All right. I will say, though, that's our first piece of advice on the show today, um, other than plan for having to take care of your elderly parents and young children at some point in your life when you least expect it. Uh, the second piece of advice is to save your original boxes, manuals, all the accessories and software, even if you're not going to use them, save them all so that you can A, have something safe to send it in if ever you need to return the camera or get it repaired. But B, it's also very helpful if you ever want to sell that camera. If you want to eBay it or Craigslist it, you can list it as having the original packing materials uh, you know, and all the additional accoutrements uh, and uh, people. It, I think it makes the item more attractive. Yeah, and yeah, the other thing is uh, consider getting an extended warranty when your camera, let's say, is over $1,000. And 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 you think you're going to be using your camera for three, at least three or four years. I forgot that. That's the third one. And it sounds like your extended warranty is a little bit more than 10% of the price of the camera, right? Yeah, it was about, yeah, about that. Yeah. It's so about 10%. It's worth it. And this is the second time you've had a Nikon go out on you and used a Mac. That's uh, my third time, actually. A third time. The You're D70 rough. went down twice. It had the green light of death. Ooh. And then it had the uh, the power button was loose. And so it was intermittently turning itself off. Well, since it drives some people crazy whenever we compare Nikon to Canon, let me just point out, none of my Canon cameras have ever needed to be repaired. You've had a better reliability factor than I have, yeah. I also shoot drunk less often. <laughs> so sorry. I, 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 I'm hard on my cameras, though. You are. I have to say. I, yeah, I, don't, I don't treat – I don't baby them. I, you know. I know I don't drop them and all, but I yeah, I don't do anything. I don't treat them with kid well, gloves. I, I was with you once when you dropped your camera. Or you, no, you were with me when I dropped – yeah, I dropped my – no, I did, dropped my 70 just, to 200 millimeter lens. The lens wasn't on the camera at the time? No, okay. it, was in, it was in like a pocket. Okay. I, and I was coming out of a, a lake, yep. a brook, and it fell on the rocks. Yeah. And how, how much was that lens? That's like a – $1,600? It's a $1,600 lens. I think it's an $1,800 lens now. And you dropped it right on the lens, right? It dropped it right on the uh, the front element. It fell. Okay. And it Tell people the, the happy part of the story. It smashed the uh, the filter part. You had, you, you had a screw-on UV filter. I had a, some cheap a filter. UV zero filter right. from Hoya. And it smashed that or cracked it. And uh, But the rest of it was fine. All right. So for, And it tumbled quite a bit on the rocks. So, you know, not everybody recommends using those... UV filters uh, for protection, but you do because you actually. Well, it saved. Yeah, it saved my lens. Yeah. So that twenty dollar filter protected your seventeen hundred dollar lens. Again, not bad insurance. Yeah. All right. Um, let's get into some of the news of the day uh, that has come out in the past week. There's been a lot. We won't go into all the um, PMA stuff because it's old now. But uh, Olympus recently announced an end to the megapixel wars. They said that their most recent cameras are 12 megapixels, and they believe that that is enough for covering most applications most customers need. Um, they went on to say that they're not going to compete in the megapixel wars with the big guys like uh, Canon and Nikon and Sony, all of whom have 21 or 22 megapixel cameras out. Instead, they're going to focus on other features like dynamic range, uh, color reproduction, and better ISO range for low light shooting. They're going to also work on um, repair, not repairing, improving their autofocus systems. 
trying to come up with some new technologies that could make autofocus much more robust and quick. What, what, what do you think of Olympus's approach? I totally applaud the approach. Me too. Because um, you know, I'm finding at 12, 10, 12 megapixels is plenty. And you know, and for and for what you know, when do you need more than that? You know, if you're going to shoot to if you're going to shoot to print big, then yeah, then then you're going to want it. I mean, there's a part of me that says, oh, more pe- megapixels, I want it. Yeah, right. but but really, I'm not finding myself in short of resolution with the 10 and 12 megapixel cameras. I agree a hundred percent. You know, the other time it's nice to have a lot of megapixels is if you're uh, really cropping a lot. You know, because yeah, if you're cropping, yeah, yeah sure. It, but yeah, I you mean, know, if you're doing a big crop, then you know you could still wind up with a decent sized picture, even if you crop it down pretty small. But in general, I agree with you a hundred percent. Not only do I not covet having twenty two or twenty three megapixels, I don't even like working with those big files and having to store them and load them and you know run a filter on them. It's all tedious. Yeah, I mean, every it slows down the entire process. Um, it takes up more hard drive space. I'm always getting a larger hard drive. You know, I'd rather get, again, I think I said this from the day one, I just want better, I want, I mean, I'd be happy to some degree to have a six megapixel camera that shoots really, really well, you know, in terms of ISO range. That was the approach that uh, Nikon had originally taken with the first iteration of the D3, right, which was a full frame camera. And they, what was it, 10 or 12 megapixels? It's a 12. A 12, and they specifically said we didn't, you know, double up on the megapixels like we could have because we wanted it to have great ISO, low light performance. Yeah, I mean, that camera performs in every way really well. Right, But I I agree. So congratulations to Olympus. So for people who say we never mention other companies, their big kudos to Olympus. And look, God bless them if they can improve things like the dynamic range and color reproduction, and if they can come up with something that makes autofocus, you know, even quicker, that'd be great. Well, yeah, I'm looking forward to the, what they're coming out with the uh, four thirds um, system, and I'm wondering if some of the research and development for that is what what's fueling some of this. But we'll see. Could they be. haven't released their four thirds camera yet, so could be. Uh, that's yeah, a- that's good news. So congratulations, Olympus, um, Canon. I'm going to give a shout out to them too. They have upgraded, a, well, let's say many cameras that are not, well, the vast majority of cameras that are not DSLRs don't take raw images, right? That's correct. Can, most most uh, compact or point-and-shoot cameras do not shoot raw. Even many of the higher-end ones. Um, Canon recently had a camera that they released, the PowerShot SX, I, uh, XS, wait, <laughs> can you say it? S- SX1? Uh-huh. IS. SX1 IS. Yeah. You know, SX, that sounds kind of like, now, how would you say that if you had to say it <laughs> phonetically? It's the sex one. Six. They, they should have made it the SXE one, and then people could say, oh, I'm shooting with the sexy one. Um, but the SX1 IS um, did not, out of the box, when it originally came out, support raw image taking and they have released a firmware upgrade upgrade to the uh camera that now allows it to take raw images which is a nice thing they're finally enabling the cameras to do more i don't think i ever heard of that well are you familiar that there's a uh, site a website 
um, which someone has, that uh, they basically, it's devoted to hacking Canon cameras. Oh. And I, th- I believe the way it works is that you just load up, you boot it with a uh, an SD card that's in there that has some stuff on it, and it will augment. It doesn't permanently alter your camera, but while it's like essentially booted without operating system, right. it will. You get many, many more functions, huh. including RAW. Oh, and okay. so people have been. Uh, I think maybe Canon might be aware that people are hacking their cameras, right? <laughs> and uh, and pulling out these functions anyway. So if they're doing that, that means that's what people want. So maybe they're just giving people what they what they want. Well, the thing is, I mean, I don't want to get this totally wrong, and it might be wrong, but doesn't every camera essentially take a raw image before it applies its JPEG algorithms? Oh, sure. But I, I imagine that the uh, producing the raw image, I mean, it's just software saving it right. in a raw format, but it, there might be other elements involved with how much, uh, how fast it can do that. That's true. Um, I don't know the, all the, the bits, but how much... So how much processor speed does that camera have and how much RAM does it have to do the work? All those things factor into the performance. Although, so, you, although you would think that, I mean, the raw image essentially means, for those of you who are not total geeks like Michael and I, that the camera's not um, processing the image at all. It's exactly as it's captured on the sensor. Um, when a camera converts to a JPEG, it is, um, you know, compressing your image basically and discarding information. So you would think that capturing the raw image should be less processor intensive, right? Sure, but let's say the files are bigger. Well, they boot as raw be images, bigger, right? and so the process it can't, so its buffering system cannot handle possibly dealing with large files. Yeah, well, very uh, very well, uh, and so so you're not going to get a frame to frame performance because it's still writing out the file if it, if it's not optimized for handling the raw images, that could be a problem. Well, if this could be in firmware, you know, an upgrade in firmware, I'd love to see at least all of the higher-end point-and-shoots, maybe not the, you know, total beginner Oh, I, I'm not disagreeing. I'm not disagreeing at yeah. all. I mean, why not? I think it's a great thing. I think we should we should see more and more raw, especially as more and more people have used programs like Lightroom. People, like, wonder, why can't we shoot raw and right. get all the advantages from that? It's very exciting. Um, we also wanted to mention that there is a new book out by Joe McNally. Joe um, was the author of The Moment It Clicks. We spoke about it on our show before. It was a very big hit as far as photography books go, and it was championed by Scott Kelby, who really loved it and was getting Joe out there. He tried to get Joe on our show. It just never worked out, right? Well, maybe we'll have him on still. Yeah, but let's still have him on, right? Um, yeah. So for those of you who like The Moment It Clicks – his new book is called Big Light from Small Flashes, and basically it sounds like it's a, a lighting guide for using your accessory flash for your DSLR, which many people have and don't use to its fullest. He's one of those artists who can get an amazing amount of uh, effects and uh, different kinds of styles by using just a small handheld flash. So if you have one of those, probably... Uh, that book would be a good investment. We, we'll, we'll try to get copies, right? I should also, yeah, I should also point out that um, he also starred in a Nikon uh, training DVD, a two-and-a-half-hour DVD, where he and another photographer, Bob Chris, um, go over the whole Nikon creative lighting system. It's an excellent DVD where they explain how to shoot with 
you know, how to actually program the flashes and actually use them and add more and more flashes and how to use the light. Um, it's an amazing tutorial. So he's sort of the master. But do you, do you, do you have to buy that? That's DVD? Yeah, okay. it's yeah. You can get it from like B and H Photo, or other places. I forgot the exact name of it, but it's a creative lighting. It says something about creative lighting system. All right. Well, listen. Why don't why don't we go to our break and come back and talk about how to take great spring photos? Spring is in the air, <sighs> and when spring is in the air, a young man or woman's fancies turn to thoughts of what. Well, see, I don't really understand because spring is not in the air in Vermont. We still have another six weeks or so. It's still yeah, well, 15 degrees at night, 40 degrees in the day. It's cold here. And not only that, it's not spring in places like Australia. Well, that's true. It's just becoming autumn for them, which must be beautiful. But uh, Yes, yes, yes. Anyway, getting back okay. to spring. Uh, so, <laughs> I, don't, I wouldn't know is what I'm saying. It's, it's a cliche. Spring is in the air. The, well, the, the old saying is a young man's thoughts turn to fancies of... I don't know. It's love. Of love. Yes, but for us, it's photography. <laughs> because spring in places that have spring, you'll get spring eventually. I think the thaw comes around June, right? Yeah, it's like May. <laughs> um, and of course, there are places like uh, Florida with no discernible change of seasons. But for those of us lucky enough to live in a four-season climate, it's it's getting to springtime. Unless like Michael says, you're on the opposite end of the world and it's coming to your autumn, in which case it's also a great time to take pictures, but those would be autumn pictures. Uh, there is something about spring, though, whenever it does come to you, that's inspiring, uh, that has motivated poets and authors and artists, artists throughout the history of mankind. Um, everything is blooming. Life is renewing. Uh, it is sort of a rebirth after the cold sterility of winter, and it is a great time to take photos, right? It really is. There's some holidays in spring that give you some opportunity to get out there and take some great shots like Easter. A lot of classic shots of kids taken on that day. There's Earth Day, which I think is becoming a a more and more um, observed holiday. Yeah. Well, my Easter shots, we have like uh, these egg hunts where they're on a sheet of ice. I know. Literally. The the, the, uh, eggs are frozen under the ice and the kids have to They're just chip like away, frozen right? on top of the ice it's very sad <laughs> Aww. See, no, uh, no, no, but you know what the kids don't care because there's candy inside those eggs so okay well eventually it'll be spring there too <laughs> and when it is spring you'll take spring pictures oh yeah and so let's give people some hints from our experience sure. and from uh, some others and then at the end of this actually don't let me forget we i put out on our twitter feed that we'd be talking about spring photos And I think we got five or six comments uh, from our listeners. I said, if you have any good spring hints, share them with us, and we'll go through them at the end. Okay. So why don't you kick them off? What's that? Why don't you start? Okay. The first one is to use spring as a prop. Now that you've got things starting to bloom, uh, flowers, foliage, uh, bring the kids outside. Bring Bring the babies in the bassinets outside. Put them in front of the daffodils or put them on the playground and use that beautiful spring foliage as a background. You don't have to just, you know, document the things, although we'll talk about later, that are blooming in spring. You can photograph other things using spring as kind of a prop 
Uh, so you so the babies are not the props then? Who's not? The babies? Yeah, babies are a prop, sure. Oh, so the babies are a prop. Okay. Well, the, the, no, well, Talk I about guess, showing off spring. Well, no, I guess the flower, the flowers would be the background. The baby would be the subject of the photo. Okay. So your subject's not a prop. And I don't like to call babies props. <laughs> Although sometimes, you know, they're so gosh darn cute they could be. Um, so, so think about spring as an element for other things you want to photograph, not even necessarily the subject of the photograph, but as something that enhances a different subject. Your turn. You don't have to go far. Beauty is in your backyard and your neighbors. But don't get arrested. Don't trespass. <laughs> don't trespass other people's yards unless they don't mind. Um, but the idea is that, you know, you don't have to go far to find beauty. I mean, the problem is, I think what happens is that people think their surroundings are so familiar, they are so familiar, that they think it's not interesting because they may not seem directly interesting to you at the moment because you see this all the time. But while, in fact... I love to go in my, in my backyard and like take pictures of bugs. I'll just get my macro lens out. I'll, I'll just take pictures of things. And because uh, and, other people might find it interesting or look for interesting things in your backyard. And certainly if you're doing macros, you know, the secret is it doesn't make any difference where you take that macro of a bug or a daffodil or a forsythia, right? A what? A forsythia. It's a spring <laughs> plant, flower. Okay. Yeah, you, you, nobody's going to know if you took that at the botanical gardens or you took it on your front stoop. Yeah, I mean, I imagine if you live in an urban setting, it might be a little different. If you are in an urban setting, you know, go to uh, you know, have a window box and shoot those flowers, right? Go to a the yeah. you know. I used to just go to the playground yeah. or go to the botanical gardens. Yeah, or go to you know an office building or anything where they have plants out front. Nobody will know where you took that picture. Um, or you know, juxtapose the urban environment. With something of nature that can work out too. Uh, so there's always a good chance for spring photographs, assuming spring ever does come to you. Get out early and often. Um, now, even where I am here in DC, spring has officially begun. And, and even in, by, by the calendar, Michael, spring has begun for Vermont too. Um, but even down here in DC, we don't really have, have the wild growth spurts, you know, and a lot of things haven't bloomed yet. It's still a little bit early. So before spring starts, come up with your spring shooting plan. Go out early and often. Look for locations. Think about where you'd like to be. If there is, a, you know, a gardens or a flower bed or some other place near you that you know is going to look great. You know, I live in D.C., so I think we're scheduled for the first week in April this year to have our cherry blossoms in full bloom. So I'm going to plan for time to get out there and shoot those because I know it's coming. So if there's something that you know is coming to your area, uh, make your plans now. And when you do get out, remember those magic hours, right? The and talk about the magic hours. One of the things, um, well, I was going to mention before that I bought a new iPhone because uh, AT&T service finally came to Vermont. So I can actually have an iPhone. Okay, the Forsythia haven't come to Vermont, but AT&T has. <laughs> but one of the things, one of the applications I actually purchased was um, one that we mentioned on another show. It's called Focalware. And Focalware is a pretty cool application where um, for any particular day and for whatever location you want, it will tell you the sunrise and sunset times or moonrise sun and moonset times, which a lot of websites will do. Oh, nice. But, but for any time during the day... You can have this little slider and, and slide the sun or over, and you can see not only 
um, at what time of the day, it'll tell you what angle of the sky the uh, sun or moon will be at and exactly what heading it will be in. This is so much easier than going outside and looking at the sun to see where it is. Well, what's really cool is that there's certain times of day where I say, wow, the light is really nice. And so what I'll do is I'll take this application, I'll take out my iPhone, and um, and then I'll check to see what time it is now, and I'll check to see like what angle the sun is right now, because that kind of lets me know what angle of the sun is the time that I, I like at certain at certain seasons. And then from that, on a certain day where I know I'm going to go shooting, I can go look to see when is it going to be at five degrees up in the air, and that type of thing. All right. Well, I'll put a link into photo. Focalware, is it freeware or? It's $10. It's $10? So, which is one of the more expensive iPhone Yeah, that's a apps. lot for an iPhone app. But I, I have to say, it's, if, and if, you know, if you're someone who likes to wait for the sun to come out or the moon to come out, um, it'll tell you exactly what angle, where over the horizon it's going to come. It's a spiral dev, S-P-I-R-A-L-D-E-V dot com slash Focalware. And you can see a little video there. So just, just pointing out about getting out the magic hours, this really helps with the magic hours, in my opinion. All right. Uh, for 10 bucks, it better. Well, we, <laughs> let's go to the next tip, Michael. What do you got? Look for spring frames. And by that, we mean like flowers and branches and trees where you can f- where you use the branches of trees to actually frame your subject. So sort of step back a bit and look at the trees and the branches as framing your your subject. So I think it's a, a, a very nice technique. I use it all the time. It's something we, we, we spoke about a couple of shows ago, how to draw attention to the subject of your photo. Putting it in a frame is always a good idea. And spring is a time when, you know, nature's providing you with a lot of really pretty frames. Or conversely, you know, using, again, the cliche of a flower, maybe you'll want to f- frame the flower in something, you know, maybe well, the flower is a subject, or... right? But this, it's a general technique I use for, you know, try to find natural frames, right? But yeah, I remember. I think I'm remembering a photo of yours where it's looking out onto a landscape, but you're you're looking out of you're like inside a shed or something, you know. So the doors of the shed are framing yeah. the landscape. That's a nice shot of yours. Yeah, yeah. So if you're inside looking out, you just do enough where you get the frame yeah, exactly. So the, you know, there it's it's. Not nature's not the frame. Nature is what you're framing, um, and it worked very well for you. There's a compliment for you for people who say I'm too Thanks. mean to you. Um, <laughs> you are a meanie, but yeah, yeah I know it's terrible. Another <laughs> general shooting tip that we like that uh, becomes relevant when you're talking about spring and landscapes and nature is to use your depth of field creatively. Uh, Michael and I like to go for extremes either to go for a very shallow depth of field so that everything but your subject starts to fade away and has some nice blur to it, or a deep depth of field if you want to capture you know, a vast sweeping landscape in all of its detail. Uh, go for that extreme depth of field. The nice thing about extremes is that whether you go shallow or deep, it tends not to be the way you see things in real life. Um, you know, When you look at a flower, your eye doesn't automatically figure out to blur the background, which would be nice because then you could focus on the flower. And just as uh, and conversely, even though your eyes can take in a lot of depth and keep things in focus, it's just human nature that you're going to focus on one thing, either in the foreground or the background. So when you go very deep with your shot, uh, it really 
does something that photography can do, which is show you the world as you don't experience it every day, to make it a more artistic, creative kind of exploration of the universe around you. And depth of field is uh, manipulated by using your aperture, opening it up all the way for shallow depth of field or closing it down for deep. Excellent. On to and you. this is the time of year, or basically, well, when I say this time of year, but I pretty much live by it all the time, is where you just want to always carry your camera. Um, some people keep a camera in their car all the time. Um, some people actually keep like a whole DSLR in their car. And you know, some people have also had their DSLRs destroyed from the heat. Uh, some people will actually hide it in a like a little cooler and they'll put ice packs in it and little towels to, to as a moisture uh, separator and or a piece of plywood to break it, to separate it. But some people will go to those extremes to keep their cameras in their car. Um, I just carry at least, if anything, a little point and shoot in my coat pocket, uh, just so that I have something. Although these days I'm just not happy <laughs> with my point and shoot yeah. results. I want something better. Oh, your D200 will be back soon. Don't be sad. Yeah, I, uh, D200. Um, yes. <laughs> no, you know, I was actually thinking when, when when we thought about these topics, I was going to mention, you know, keep your camera in the car. And it didn't occur to me about weather damage, which you're absolutely right can happen. I was thinking, though, theft, you know, that's a, yeah, that I mean, it really concerned. depends on where you right. live and what, what your environment is like. But cars get very hot. The other thing is keep in the trunk. Some people will keep in the trunk where it is a little cooler. Right. But heat can really damage the, uh, the electronics of your camera, the sensor and all that. Right. And, so. and having it stolen won't damage it, but might as well. Well, yeah. I mean, growing up in New York, we were basically taught, don't put anything in the car. I know. That has any value to you. I know. Believe me, it's the same in every urban place. Now when you go – when I there's a road I take that goes into Washington, D.C. I live right outside D.C. in a suburb. Um, and there's one of those uh, flashing road signs that say, leave nothing in your car. <laughs> really? Yep. Like, but I, well, it's, it's a sad state. Yep. When, but it's good they're letting people know that. Yes. Um, all right. Um, spring – is a good time to shoot for textures. Uh, many interesting patterns emerge in nature. The bark of a tree, uh, the pattern that branches can form against the sky, repeating patterns of blades of grass. It's a good time to uh, capture those. You can go a little abstract. You know, sometimes it's great to take up, you know, you know to do something like uh, the bark of a tree and, and you don't even know quite what you're looking at. But you know, it's such an interesting texture that it works on its own and is a bit of a challenge. Um, and also a lot of people like to use these textures then in other photography projects as backgrounds or as uh, – Wallpapers. Well, and, things like that, yeah. Yeah, I mean I, I, I totally appreciate when I see people shooting graphically. I That is the, one of the biggest challenges for me. I don't see that way. Right. Where they, you know, where they see these repeating patterns and frame it in such a way. Some people, you know, there are many graphic artists who just see that way. And, you know, that's how they shoot. Almost everything they shoot is patterns and shapes. Right. Um, and for me, that's just one of my challenges. I'm always trying to think more graphically, but I don't always do that. Yes. I see the patterns in my life, but not in my pictures. <laughs> so the next item is to keep it steady. And this is a good time to think about using a tripod uh, when you can, or possibly even a monopod. I recently bought a monopod. I have not mastered it yet. 
Um, the other thing to do is uh, use higher ISOs when you need them. Don't be afraid to pump up the ISO and use no possibly uh, noise reduction in software later. Right, right. Um, or just make it black and white. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of using tripods, but this is the time to do it because there's just so much beauty out there. Um, another tip regarding light. Um, if the light is too strong, remember Rick Salmon's advice, be flashy outdoors. Spring, you know, you're starting to come out of the dark days. You can get a lot of shadows, a lot of dynamic range in your shots that can sometimes be too much for your camera, leading to uh, lost details in the shadow areas. So use your flash outdoors. We've talked about how to do that before, to dial back your flashes uh, light output so that it doesn't overwhelm your subject but just kind of fills in the darker shadows and this is a good time to practice that technique another mention if it when it's bright is that you can also use a polarizing filter which can let a little less light into your camera but also let you saturate the colors nicely it will uh, reduce your reflections of polarized light and so by removing those reflections, suddenly the, the, uh, the sky will seem much bluer and the colors will be a little more vivid. And it will also act as cutting out a little bit of light at the same time. And, but a pol polarizer is only effective when you're standing how in relation to the sun? In, um, usually in a 90 degree right. angle from the sun, but not always. It really depends on the actual light itself, mm -hmm. whether it's polarized or not. Nice thing about a DSLR is uh, with a polarized a polarizer lens, at least you can see if it's having the effect. Yeah, you can, as you turn the circular polarizer filter, you'll see uh, the actual effect right on there. You'll see the sky suddenly get blue, or you'll see sometimes reflections on water just disappear. Right. Yeah, yeah, that circular. And, that, that, and what you're seeing there are polarized, it's polarized light that's just suddenly not being shown. There are different kinds of reflections, and polarized light reflection is just one type of reflection. Yeah, circular polarizers are definitely my number one recommendation for filters. Yeah, and you could use a neutral density filter, but that's, I, I, you know, I use that for more specialized. Yeah, and a, pol a polarizer does more yeah. than a neutral density. Because when you need one, it comes in very handy, and it's often, especially in reducing the reflections and glare, uh, it's something you can't do in software. No. You know? you, you know, some people try simulating right. like the, the saturation effect, but... It, it, the real effect is not the same. Right. Um, it's always a good idea to shoot from many angles when you are uh, trying to capture something. But especially at springtime, remember to not be afraid to get on your knees and shoot from the ground up. There's so much happening down there that uh, sometimes capturing it from a different angle. Again, that's the beauty of photography. You can show people things as they would not normally see them, assuming that they're not very, very short or walking around on their knees. Um, so get lucky. Yeah, I love, in particular, I love one of your photos that you did when we were on that photo excursion with Rick Salmon, um, where you shot a, a set of flowers with with mountains. Were they mountains in the background? They were. I think there are, there are mountains in the background. It was beautiful, and but you were shooting the flowers from below. Okay, we did not and plan were, on complimenting each other's pictures this show, Michael. Oh, I don't sorry. Want people to, well, I won't do that anymore, I, I promise. I, I don't want people to think this is a tit-for-tatter, <laughs> you know. That's just, and you had that photo a, published. Yeah, that photo, you know, was published in Popular Photography Magazine. Ahem, ahem, ahem. Yes, that was a nice <laughs> shot. Now, let's go to the comments from our Twitterers. Um, we put out there on Twitter that we'd be talking about spring pictures. Um you know, people on Twitter have funny names. So RWWH, I don't know who that is, 
said um, he agreed. Number one, uh, visit a website, which is K-E-U-K-E-R-H-O-F, I guess for inspiration. And his number two suggestion was kneel down, which is just what we were talking about, right? Yeah. Uh, Eladio Gomez, oh, look, his, his uh, Twitter name is his real name, uh, says, if you're photographing flowers, oh, this is a good one. You ready for this one? If you're photographing sure. flowers, bring a water spray bottle to sprinkle them before the shooting. They'll look a lot better. I also know that some people actually bring like a piece of black cloth. Yes. Well, that's a, with that's them a good idea too. Where they go and they just put it behind yeah. the flower. Or, and sometimes um, you can drape that cloth over, you know, black velvet is nice because it absorbs a lot of light. You can drape it over some branches in the back. The other thing you can use because it will stand up is something like a black oak tag paper, you know, heavy paper. Right. Because I think people carry the cloth because they can stick in their pocket or something like that. Well, you can stick oak tag in your pocket if you were very, <laughs> I very suppose. <laughs> um, but that's, I love that water bottle. Spray them with a water yeah. bottle. Um, I do that with my portraits and nobody likes it. I spray them down. And if, if it's a really hot day, you just get a little spritz. Um, okay. G Wiz Kids also wrote us with uh, something that we, we've said before. So this is now the third person to suggest uh, regarding spring shooting. Don't be afraid to go out in the muck low in the muck if need be. So wear sensible shoes. Or or rubber boots. Don't wear your chim- Jimmy Choo's, Michael. And uh, Shutter Dippity, Shutter Dippity, that's clever, um, says for your spring photo show topic, a low-cost macro idea is to take a regular 50-millimeter 1.8 lens and then just get a close-up filter. And use that combination to uh, photograph your flowers and insects. You can Google that or look for it on uh, Amazon or BRH close-up filters. There are some um, out there by a number of manufacturers. And I've heard this before. I've never used one because I have a macro lens. I have a close-up filter, uh, the Canon 500D close-up filter, which I use on my 70 to 200 millimeter lens. Right. And it's excellent. Although I would, I think a cheaper way to go would be to actually on a fifty millimeter lens is to buy um, an extension tube, which you put between your camera and the lens. I, my dad does it. I should have him on the show and <laughs> explain it. I've never done it, but I hear it's inexpensive and effective. And you know what else I don't know? Do you know there's a way to like reverse your lens? Do you know that that you can you yes. know, mount it the and other I way? Th- yes, you can like. With a filter, with a certain type right. of filter, you can take two lenses and reverse one. And then that also then, gives you kind of a macro. But but, but uh, the close-up filter is a really easy way to do it, and it is a lot less expensive than a dedicated macro lens. And I definitely say if it's something you're going to do occasionally or play with, go that route. Don't spend you know four hundred dollars on a macro lens before you know if you're interested. Yeah, and it's and it's small, you know, and it's portable. Right, and, and you can then depending on your you know, lens diameter, you might be able to use that with other lenses too. Okay. Well, thank you to all our Twitter friends for those great suggestions. I'm sorry if we mangled your name. And I'm also sorry because we need to be somewhere else right now. So we have to wrap the show up quick, right? Excellent. Yes. The end of the show. All right. So we will not go through all the usual places you can find us. Just check out Scott's- Just rewind. (laughs) Rewind to about seven (laughs) minutes into the show. The first time- we bored you with that information, but you can also get links to everywhere to find us in the world on the web at scottsphotoblog.com. I'll put it in the show notes. 
Very good. And well, thank you. Hopefully we'll be back soon. Let's all uh, send out some good wishes and vibes to my folks. And, and while doing it, let's send them out to everybody's folks and family so that we can all continue to not just podcast, but take our pictures and uh, enjoy for, for some of us sooner than others this beautiful season of spring. Very good thoughts. Thank you for listening. Thank you. We'll bye bye. Again soon. Bye bye. <laughs>